0: This program is brought to you by RTS on iTunes U from the virtual campus of Reformed Theological Seminary. To listen to other courses or to access other materials from RTS, please visit us at itunes.rts.edu. Chapter 18, Ezekiel, The Nations and Israel's Restoration. Romans number one, an overview. Let's, let's, zero in on the basic content of the material of this lecture you'll remember from figure 181 that the first 24 chapters of the book of ezekiel are dealing with the judgment of god against judah because ezekiel is ministering during that period of time between the first deportation and the actual destruction of jerusalem he says that the babylonians will utterly destroy jerusalem and will spare only a only the repentant that god will only dis- spare the repentant Then we come to the middle section of the oracles against the nations where many nations will suffer under God's judgment and then finally a restoration and reconstruction of Judah where in chapters 33 through 48 where Ezekiel announces that Jerusalem and Judah will be restored as the temple is reconstructed at the center or at the heart of the new Jerusalem. Now, in this lecture, what we're going to be dealing with are the second two sections of the book of Ezekiel. The Oracles Against the Nations, chapter 25 through 32, and then the Restoration and Reconstruction of Judah, 33 through 48. In terms of there being a large-scale literary structure for the book, it is interesting, if you take a look at figure 18.2, that the first section of this book has Ezekiel in chapter 3 verses 16 through 19 Ezekiel is commissioned as a watchman and then in chapter 33 1 through 7 he receives another commission to be a watchman for Judah for Israel and then in the first part portion of this book you have judgment against Judah and then corresponding that you have restoration and reconstruction in chapters 33 through 48 and then at the end of the uh pat the first passage or the first section of the book of Ezekiel, you have siege being laid against Jerusalem. You recall that this is the day that Ezekiel's wife died and when the siege was laid against Jerusalem. And then the last portion of the last section of the book of Ezekiel deals with Jerusalem being rebuilt and God being present in Jerusalem. And intervening between these corresponding sections or corresponding themes is this material of concern with the foreign nations surrounding Judah. This brings us to Roman numeral 2, letter A, the basic content of these materials. Figure 18.3 illustrates that in chapters 25 through 32, we have oracles against the nations in the style that we are used to seeing them in other books. But then we also have laments for particular nations and their kings. And this is a little unusual by comparison with the things we've seen in other books. But these are prophecies against nations who had in the past troubled Israel. Now remember that these negative oracles against the nations are actually positive oracles for Judah as they think about their enemies receiving their just deserts. And the, uh, the notion basically is this, that God will punish those who had mistreated Israel. And this goes back all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where Abraham is told, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. The basic literary structure then, Roman numeral 2, letter B, we have a series of judgment oracles: first against Ammon, then against Moab and Seir, then against Edom and Philistia. Now the section on Tyre, chapters 26 through 28-19, is a little more elaborate. You have a judgment oracle against Tyre, then a lament for Tyre, a judgment oracle against Tyre's king, and then a lament for Tyre's king. And this is an important passage as we'll take a look at it in just a few moments. The judgment oracle then against Sidon, and then one against Egypt where you have a judgment oracle against Egypt and Pharaoh, and then a lament for Pharaoh. Figure 18.5 gives us a summary of the the important elements or the important ideas in this material where we have those exiles who are listening to Ezekiel and they are asking questions about what about the nations that troubled Israel and the answer that Ezekiel gives is that God will punish them and I think basically in all this material Ezekiel is saying to his readers enough of his predictions about the nations have come true even by the day of the writing of this book to trust his prophecies about the future Now, as we think about the the prominent motifs, it's important for us to see, as in figure 18.6, that we have other materials in the prophets that compare in remarkable ways with this. You remember that Amos chapter 1 is dealing with the way that the nations will suffer at the hands of the Assyrians and Babylonians. Isaiah 13 through 23, again, as the Assyrian and Babylonian invasions will be dealing with the, um, the nations surrounding Judah. Zephaniah focuses on how the day of the Lord will involve the Babylonians coming and destroying the various nations around. And Obadiah mentions Israelite restoration as a time when the nations surrounding Judah will be destroyed. Ezekiel 25 to 32 takes the nations in this order from north to south, and then from south to north, and then jumps over to Egypt. You can see at the map here, first Ammon, then southward to Moab, then southward to Edom, then moving east to the south, directly over Philistia, then up to Tyre, then up to Sidon, and then Egypt, which is way off the map over there, number seven. So there's a geographical order to this material, even though there may not be a thematic order to it. Taking a look then at figure 18.7, we see that basically I give you a list of the passages, then the nations that are mentioned, and I um, also then talk about the crime that's mentioned in these oracles and the punishment that's given. The Ammonites are accused of gloating over Jerusalem's destruction. And Ezekiel says that destruction will come from the east because of this, and this is probably something that took place around the year 586, either through Nebuchadnezzar or through the Arab people. Moab and Seir also gloat over Judah's defeat, and destruction will come from the east against them too, Ezekiel says. Edom took revenge on the Judahites after the destruction of the land, and they were destroyed by Israel in 165 B.C., The troubling of Judah throughout history by Philistia, and there's an unspecified vengeance mentioned there. There's a gloating over Jerusalem's destruction by the king of Tyre, and Nebuchadnezzar, we're told, will destroy it. Um, Sidon has been briars and thorns for Judah, and a plague and sword will destroy it. Egypt was full of pride and defiance, and Nebuchadnezzar will defeat Egypt as well. And this, again, did happen by the power of the Babylonians. So basically what we have in this material on the oracles against the nations is Ezekiel going through a list of various nations that have troubled the Judahites and saying that God will destroy them. And of course, these are positive words because as we've seen in the other prophets, along with the destruction of the nations will come Judah's restoration. This brings us then to Roman numeral three, Judah's fall and restoration. We're dealing now with chapters 33 through 39 which um, is the first portion of the very last section of the Book of Ezekiel. And we're talking about some basic ideas as Figure 18.8 describes to us. We're talking about the fall of Jerusalem, Gog, the response of nations to the restoration of Jerusalem and the fall of Jerusalem, the Edomites, and controversies among the people that exist after the fall of the city, and the leaders of the people, those kinds of things, as figure eight describes it. But then figure 18.9 gives us the basic literary structure, Roman numeral three, letter B. First, we have Ezekiel being recommissioned as a watchman. And then we're told that Jerusalem's fall divides Israel into two groups. There's a mention of, a sh- of shepherds from the past and shepherds for the future. Edom is condemned. Foreign judgment will come um, against Edom and the nations and that as Israel is restored to its paradise. Then we have the very famous chapter on the resurrection of dry bones and then the joining of two sticks and then the victory in a great future battle. What we want to do is to take a look at the prominent motifs here found in these various sections, and I've done that with the various illustrations here beginning with 1810. So we're on Roman numeral three, letter C, the prominent motifs. The first section, Ezekiel's recommissioning as a watchman. God tells Ezekiel to continue to be a watchman for Judah even after the destruction, and Ezekiel is telling his people that God has been just in destroying the wicked and God, and while the people are arguing that God has been unjust, Ezekiel insists know that judgment on Jerusalem is a just thing, and this is found in chapter 33, verses 1 through 20. Remember that the people had put many hopes in Jerusalem. They believed that God would never destroy her, and the prophets often had to argue that the judgment that came against the city of David was a justified judgment, and that's what Ezekiel does in chapter 33, 1 through 20. The next major section of Jerusalem's and the resulting two groups of Israelites, Ezek- is figure 1811. After the destruction of Jerusalem, Ezekiel says that the re- those who remained in the land were still under the curse of God. You'll recall that I suggested to you that the people who remained in the land often thought of themselves as those who had been protected by God, much as had happened in the days of Hezekiah. But Ezekiel in this material says, no, they are under a curse. But then he also addresses the ex- exiles in chapter 33, 21 through 33, and he mentions that they are not any more righteous than the people who are left in the land, that they are hypocrites because they do not listen to Ezekiel. And so, in effect, um, after Jerusalem's fall, those who remain in the city are under a curse and those in exile are hypocritical, which points out, of course, that Ezekiel's not letting anyone off the hook, that each person has to repent in righteousness and has to come back to God in order to find salvation. The next section about shepherds from the past and in the future, figure 1812. In the past, Ezekiel says the shepherds, those would be the kings and the leaders of the people, that they misled and harmed the people. But in the future, God himself will act as a shepherd for the people of God. But notice in this chapter 34, 1 through 31, that God will not just treat the Israelites kindly, but he will judge within the flock. And this, of course, is a theme that... that keeps appearing in Ezekiel, that no one gets off free on this. Everyone is judged by God, and no large group is going to be accepted as righteous in individual judgment. But once the judgment takes place, as the great shepherd, Yahweh, distinguishes between those who are righteous and those who are not, then he will heal and restore the flock back to its original pasture, meaning Jerusalem and Judah. Then we find a condemnation of Edom in chapter 35, verses 1 through 15. And figure 18.13 says this, that even though Edom has troubled Judah during the Babylonian crisis, and there has been a lot of trouble uh, during that time, because of this, God will make Edom desolate. And so we find then in chapter 35 that God will judge Edom for troubling Judah at her time of trial and destruction. We move on to chapter 36 where foreign judgment is tied into Israel's restoration. We find in in figure 18.14 that chapter 36 mentions that Edom and other nations ravaged fallen Judah. But God will judge these nations along with Edom and as a result of that he will restore Israel for his name's sake. If we take a look at chapter 36 verse 22 hear the focus now that yahweh has therefore say to the house of israel this is what the sovereign lord says it is not for your sake o house of israel that i am going to do these things meaning the restoration and the like But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through your through you before their eyes. In this chapter, God focuses on the fact that he's not going to restore Judah, restore Israel, because of her righteousness, but because of his own name. Apparently, the people of God have become so corrupt that the only reason why God would ever even restore them would be in order to maintain the integrity of his word and the integrity of his reputation among the nations. Then we move on to chapter 37, the resurrection of the dry bones. And as figure 1815 illustrates, uh, God says to Ezekiel, see these bones. And um, he's saying to Ezekiel that Israel is like skeletons. is like They're like dead skeletons because of the judgment that has come upon them. And Ezekiel asks the question, can these bones live again? And Yahweh responds that Israel will be resurrected and will settle in the land again even though things are bad even like the valley of dry bones they can live again these bones will live again israel will be restored as dry as the dry bones are made alive then chapter 37 verses 15 through 18 we have the story of the joining of two sticks where god figure 1816 God tells Ezekiel to take two sticks and he says one stick is Judah the other stick is Israel and he tells Ezekiel bind these together and he declares to him that Judah and Israel will be joined under a Davidic king in a covenant of peace and so there's a promise here that not only will Israel be restored but Israel will be restored under one king a son of David and then we find this great section chapter 38 through 39 which is misunderstood by so many evangelicals today that God speaks through Ezekiel about victory for Israel in a future battle now mind you this is a battle that was much like the battle mentioned in Amos chapter 9 or Haggai chapter 2 where the restored community was expected if the restoration continued as it was designed to continue expected to receive trouble and trials from the nations surrounding her and the restored community was to be led by a son of David to victory over the nations of the earth. This is a famous passage because it is the passage that mentions Gog and Magog if you take a look at figure 1817, we don't have much time to um, talk about this, but let me just give you this suggestion. Um, I know that the um, remarkable interpretations that come on Christian television and Christian popular writings have uh, lay, have gained a lot of popularity these days, but they're probably ill-founded. Uh, Gog, we would suspect, though we can't know for sure, may correspond to a the king of Lydia, who lived around 660 BC. In Greek, his name was Guges, or in Assyrian, Gugu, and that's very much like Gog in Hebrew. In Asia Minor, uh, ruling over Meshach and Tubal, this is, um, this is a section of Asia Minor, the king of Lydia, who was known as a great evil one. And it's very likely that um, Gog is being used here as a, with a symbolic meaning. And that is to say that he is like a Hitler of the past because Gog of Lydia was known to be a very evil king. And when, when Ezekiel mentions Magog, he's talking about the Jephethites. If you take a look at Genesis ten two and First Chronicles 1, 5, you find the Jef- Jephethites uh, being mentioned along with Magog. There's an alliance with Persia and Cush and Put and Gomer and Beth Togomar in chapter 38, verses 5 through 6. And in all likelihood, the symbolic use, speaking here, of some, some leader who will gather this kind of alliance. This is not a worldwide alliance, but this is an alliance between a number of different nations surrounding Judah who will then rise up and attack the restored community. And um, these evil nations will do this after the restoration. If you take a look at chapter 38, verses 8 and 9, we find some indication as to when Ezekiel thought this would happen. Verse 8, after many days you will be called to arms. In the future years you will invade a land that has recovered from war, whose people were gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had been desolate. They, have, they had been brought out from the nations, and now all of them live in safety. You and all your troops and the many nations with you will go up, advancing like a storm, and you will be like a cloud covering the land. So speaking to Gog, He's talking about the fact that they will come against the people who had settled in, settled in in peace, settled in from all over in the mountains of Israel. And this, of course, is talking about the restoration. This is not a new theme, the idea of warfare after the restoration. We've seen it in Amos chapter 9, Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Also speaks of uh, God shaking heavens and earth for, for Zerubbabel, who will rule over the nations. Then in ch- in chapter 38, verses 17 through 39, there will be a, ma- a destruction of Gog and her allies and massive casualties. And then, then we come to, in, in chapter 39, verses 25 through 29, there is an overview of the whole scenario. First, we find, uh, verses 25 and 26, that the captives will be brought back to the land. Um, let's re- just read that there. Verse 26, they will forget the shame and all the unfaithfulness they showed toward me when they lived in safety in their land with no one to make them afraid. Then verse 27, we find an attack and then a divine intervention. When I have brought them back from the nations and have gathered them from the countries of their enemies, I will show myself holy through them in the sight of many nations. And then verse 28, the glorious restoration after the battle. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God, for I sent them into exile among the nations. I will gather them to their own land, not leaving any behind. I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. That, of course, reminds us of Joel chapter 2. So take a look again at chapter 38 and 39 of Ezekiel, and I think you'll see that Ezekiel's talking about the restoration period, not about something that's out in our future that we wonder about uh, which nation might be Gog and how it might connect to Russia and those sorts of things. Figure 1818 gives a summary of what this material in chapters 33 through 39 are talking about. First, Ezekiel says that Jerusalem's fall is just, that the Remainees and the exiles are not right with God, no one is right with God, that God will judge and restore the sheep, that Edom will be destroyed, that the nations will be judged, Israel will be resurrected as the dry bones and reunited under a king, and then Israel will be victorious in her future battle. Again, chapters 38 through 39. And Ezekiel's basic message is that Israel's future after 586 includes judgment and ultimate victory over her enemies. This brings us then to the very final section of the book of Ezekiel. Roman numeral uh, 4, Judah's Reconstruction. The basic content of this material can be seen in figure 1819. We're talking about the sections of Ezekiel that deal with the new temple structure, the new temple personnel, the return of the glory to the temple, a new leadership, and the inheritance of Israel. And this reconstruction of Judah takes place in chapters 40 through 48, 35. In terms of Roman numeral four, letter B, the literary structure, we see that Ezekiel experiences a, another visionary transport to Jerusalem in chapter 40. He, igno- he sees the structure of a new temple and then the return of God's presence to that temple. He goes through the sacred personnel of the new temple and the restoration that takes place because of the changes and the restoration of that temple. In many respects, we have to realize that Ezekiel's vision here is very much a priestly vision of the restoration. Figure 1821 shows us that Ezekiel has, in his basic format, that the temple is the center of the restoration. The rebuilding of the temple and the presence of God in the temple has got to be at the heart of the restoration from his point of view. It shows his priestly bias and his priestly approach to everything that goes on in the land and to in the among the people of God. But along with the temple being in order and with God's presence must be the priests and the prince, that is the kingship, the kingship and the priesthood, ruling over the land as they should. And then you find the result of that will be the restoration of the whole nation. As we begin to look at this material in chapter 40 through 48, we need to keep in mind how Ezekiel's vision of the future, vision of the restoration period, is a distinctively priestly vision. It has at its center the temple with God's holy presence, and then surrounding that very closely would be the priesthood and the prince or the king who is to be with the priests and then finally the Result of having God in the temple and the priest and prince together in rulership will be the restoration of the whole nation in prosperity and joy and so this is Ezekiel's vision and it centers around having been transported back to the temple if you take a look at chapter 40 and verse one in the twenty-fifth year of our exile at the beginning of the year on the tenth day of the month in the fourteenth year after the fall of the city On that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he took me there. In visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain, on whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city. He took me there, and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze, and he was standing in the gateway with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. The man said to me, son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and pay attention to everything I'm going to show you, for that is why you have been brought here. Tell the house of Israel everything you see. And from that point on, Ezekiel begins to describe what he sees. And what he sees is the temple, a new temple, a future temple that's going to be laid out in some detail. And figure 1822 is a picture from the NIV study Bible of Ezekiel's futuristic vision of the temple to come. And it's quite a remarkable temple. It's laid out in some detail, and Ezekiel is given in chapter 40 through uh, 42, given quite a bit of extensive description of what this new temple must look like you can walk through that and see that in many ways it is like the temple of Solomon but it is an even greater temple because it is to be the eschatological temple, the end time temple. Um, the return of God's presence is another thing that comes however because having a temple is not enough and in chapter 43 Verses one through twenty-seven, we find that Yahweh's glory returns to the temple. Verse one of chapter forty-three: Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of God of the God of Israel coming from the east, meaning coming from Babylon. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. This reminds us a lot of Isaiah chapter forty, with the highway of our God, on, and the glory of God coming on the highway, meaning the people coming back to the land and all. seeing it together so uh, Ezekiel sees God's chariot throne, his glory his brilliance and it comes and fills the temple verse 5 then the spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and then there is the requirement that's given in chapter 43 verses 6 through 12 when the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet. Remember, the footstool is the mercy seat. This is where I live among the Israelites forever. The house of Israel will never again defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, by their prostitution, by their lifeless idols, and so on and so on. So you have the, the notion here that the that God is here making requirements of the people, making announcements and promises. And in verse 12, this is the law of the temple. All the surrounding area on top of the mountain will be most holy. Such is the law of the temple. So the surrounding area of Zion must be kept holy in this new setting. Again, the center of the restoration for Ezekiel is the temple, the presence of God, the holiness of this site. And then chapter 43, verses 13 through 17, Um, Ezekiel is told about how sacrifices are to be made and how the people are to be accepted by God on the basis of those sacrifices. So that's the return of God's presence to the temple. And then the next section is chapter 44 through 46 which deals with the prince and the priest and given their inheritance and their duties. In figure 1824, we find that the priest, and especially the Zadokite priest, thus the Zadokite family coming back from exile, will be rulers over the Levites. And there is going to be a permanent inheritance for the priests and the Levites, an inheritance and a sacrifice of the prince, that is the new king, and then chapters 45 through 46, the requirement of holy days in this restored community as the prince and kings, pardon me, the prince and the priest must rule over the people and keep their... Um, their calendar functioning as God wants it to be functioning. And what will be the spillover of this? The spillover, of course, is that there will be restoration for the land. The river will flow from the temple and it will set a glorious order in all of the land. You look at figure 18.25. Where we have the river flowing for the temple, chapter 47, and it will flow throughout the extent of the land. This is a life giving um, river that will give blessings not just to Judahites but also the aliens chapter 47 verses 22 through 23 that by the way is our um, our hope and as Gentiles is that we are included among those aliens and then the division of the land will be made among the tribes but central in all of this once again is the city Chapter 48, verses 30 through 35 make this plain. These will be the exits of the city, beginning on the north side, which is 4,500 cubits long. The gates of the city will be named after the tribes of Israel. The three gates on the north will be the gate of Reuben, the gate of Judah, and the gate of Levi. On the east side, which is 45 cubits long, there will be three gates, the gate of Joseph, Benjamin, and Dan, and so on it goes. And the distance all around will be 1,800 cubits. And the name of the city from that time on will the Lord is there. And figure 1826 gives us a picture that Ezekiel sees where the gates of the city of Jerusalem named after all 12 tribes, meaning all 12 tribes will enter into the city and will be a part of the city. And what is it that makes the city of Jerusalem so very central and so remarkable? It is the fact that Yahweh is there. That will be the name of the city. Um, And This, of course, demonstrates that the um, restoration period will be a time of great glory and a time where the presence of God is uh, evident to all who are near the city of Jerusalem. Now, we recall as Christians that we know that this material is brought up over into the New Testament, but before we think about that for a moment, let's reflect on the original meaning of this material, figure 18.27. In this section, chapter 40-48, through 48, Ezekiel says the temple will be rebuilt, that God will be present, and there will be peace with between God and the people, that the sacred personnel, that's the priesthood and kingship, will be in order, and the result of that will be restoration for the land. So Ezekiel's message in these materials is that God has given us a reconstruction program meaning Ezekiel and his compatriots in Babylon that has the temple at its center and that full restoration will come only through compliance with this Zadokite priestly vision of the future. Now, it's very important for us to realize that as figure 1828 tries to illustrate, the original meaning of this is only one dimension of the significance of these passages, these latter portions of Ezekiel for us today. As Ezekiel was dealing with, especially chapters 40 through 48, his understanding was that the Israelites would return, that they would build the temple, that there would be a battle and a great victory for Judah over her enemies. The post-exilic prophets, meaning Haggai, Zechariah, uh, Malachi, The return and the temple rebuilding took place, but sin stopped the restoration from full realization. In other words, there was no battle, there was no great victory for Judah. In fact, the battles that went on, at first, they remember they had the sword and the trowel in hand in the days of Nehemiah. At first, they had some victories over their enemies, but eventually the Greeks came and destroyed Jerusalem once again, and then the Romans followed with their destructive powers and suppression as well. And so the promises of full restoration given by Ezekiel did not take place. The New Testament witness, however, is that these restoration hopes, the return of Jews, the temple, the battle, the victory, are fulfilled in the inauguration, continuation, and consummation of Christ's kingdom. You'll remember, for example, that Jesus calls himself the Temple. You'll remember that the return of the Jews took place as the Jews were, um, representatives of the Jews were all present at the day of Pentecost and they heard the gospel and then took the gospel back to the Jewish communities throughout the ancient world. And we know also that. The battle that took place in the in Christ's death and resurrection as well as continuing on today in the church and the victory that the church experiences as the gospel goes forth in power. But all of these are just foretaste of what will come in the future when Jesus returns in the new Jerusalem and is present with us. And we can hear these words closing the book of Ezekiel. The Lord is there. And we can say the Lord is there in the new Jerusalem in ways that he's never been present anywhere before in this world. And so the consummation of Christ's kingdom represents the ultimate fulfillment of Ezekiel's message. Figure 1829 gives us the appropriational model for this material. The temple reconstruction theme for the original meaning was that the returnees must center their hope on rebuilding the temple with the proper personnel. And the New Testament, of course, tells us that the church must center its hope on Christ and the temp- as the temple and the high priest. And our application today is that our daily lives and our eschatological hopes are in none but Christ himself. The theme of battle against the nations originally meant that the returnees will face resistance from the nations, but that they will have victory. The New Testament says that this that the Church faces resistance from the world, but we will have victory. And the application, of course, for us today is that we should expect resistance from the world all around us, but that we will have ultimate victory in Christ. And then the theme of victory and glory, that Israel will receive victory over her enemies and glory of full restoration. The church will do this according to the New Testament, and we must continue to hope and look for Christ bringing victory over his enemies now and in the future. This latter portion of the book of of Ezekiel, the, the judgments against the nations and then Ezekiel's restoration program are not words that were just given long ago. They are words that are given to us today that we might continue to hope in our Savior and the things that He will bring to us. The preceding program has been brought to you by RTS on iTunes U from the virtual campus of Reformed Theological Seminary and may not be reproduced or disseminated, in part or in whole, for sale or for profit without expressed written consent. To listen to other courses or to access other materials from RTS, please visit us at itunes.rts.edu.